This week on the Tonight Podcast, zooming out, Ted Stern. Giving up the pension, giving up the quote-unquote security. What if I quit? You can fall in love with that discomfort. It's like the ripple effect. We talk ourselves out of a lot of things. There's a lot of coaches that mean well, but they're not good coaches. Everyone is not anyone. One of the major roles of a good coach is reassurance when it's needed. The comfort zone is what leads people back to the same crappy position they've been stuck in. Why would I subject mine to that? It hurts. Like, it's pain. Like, it doesn't feel good to, like, push yourself. I don't love it. I love what it brings me. The psychological is tied to the physiological. I think when people hear more about the value and the potential they can see in their own life, maybe they'll maybe that'll push them to take that first step. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the year 2023 and episode 314 of the 108 podcast, Zooming Out. My name is 108 and today's episode, we are going to be talking about nutrition with a former police officer from the state of California turned entrepreneur turned nutrition coach. My guest today is Ted Stern, the owner of the company Fit Responder. Today's episode, we're going to talk all about what made Ted and his wife leave the safety and security of the life of the Thin Blue Line and the importance of having a good coach, nutrition, and much, much more. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and check out our sponsors. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you, your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice, but you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So... Go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. 
And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. Thin Vine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle. Making wine with a purpose is the mission. Check out their social medias at Thin Vine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 108TEN, the number 8, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. So this is our first episode of the new year. I know a lot of you probably made New Year's resolutions either out loud or just to yourself. And personally, I think that's fine. I think that New Year's resolutions are silly, but I also understand the idea of wanting to improve yourself. And the new year is a great starting point, especially this year. This year started on a Sunday. Of course, here we are five days into the new year. And I wonder how many of you have actually started and how many of you have already given up. Why is it so hard to start changing your life and to start changing your habits? The biggest reason is we love our comfort zone. We love it too much. First things first, let's refer to my favorite philosopher slash emperor, Marcus Aurelius, who in meditation talks about literally leaving comfort and doing what you have to do. So here's my friend, Captain Tom Rizzo, reciting this lesson. At dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, tell yourself I have to go to work as a human being what do I have to complain of if I'm going to do what I was born for the things I was brought into the world to do or is this what I was created for to huddle under the blankets and stay warm so you're born to feel nice instead of doing things and experiencing them Don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants, and spiders and bees going about their individual tasks, putting the world in order as best they can, and you're not willing to do your job as a human being? Why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? Were you born to feel nice, or were you born to challenge yourself and improve? If you're listening to this, I would like to think at the very least... You're interested in the idea of breaking out of your comfort zone. Now, what is your comfort zone? Like Marcus Aurelius described, it's probably like a warm bed. That's what it feels like. So I'm going to walk you through an exercise as written by Phil Stutz on Psychology Today. It also comes from his book called The Tools. And it was also in the Netflix movie with him and Jonah Hill called Stutz. Think of something you chronically avoid doing. How do you organize your life to avoid doing that thing? Imagine that pattern of avoidance is actually a place you hide in. That is your comfort zone. What does it feel like? It probably feels like a safe and familiar place, free of the pain that the world brings with it. But merely escaping pain isn't enough for us. We insist that the pain be replaced with pleasure, and we do this with an endless array of addictive activities, and cops are notorious for this. Examples of these addictive activities include internet surfing, drugs and alcohol, pornography, and the aptly named comfort food. All these behaviors are widespread, and our culture is always looking for a comfort zone. And that is where we need to break out. Whatever your comfort zone is, you pay a huge price for being in it. Life provides you incredible, endless opportunities and possibilities. But you can't take advantage of them without facing pain. 
If you can't tolerate pain, you can't be fully alive. And there's many examples of this. If you're a shy person and you avoid people, you lose the vitality that comes with the sense of community. If you're creative, but you can't tolerate criticism, you'll never really reach people who could appreciate and possibly fund your work. By staying in the comfort zone, you end up relinquishing most of your cherished dreams and aspirations. To overcome the fear and pain associated with leaving the comfort zone, you need an equally primitive emotion. Desire. That's right. To overcome pain, you must desire it. When you desire something, you move toward it and the pain shrinks. Now, of course, for most of us, desiring pain is not completely natural. Now, Stutz calls this the reversal of desire because it reverses the normal desire to avoid pain into the desire to move right into it. With it, anyone can overcome the psychic pain and the fear involved in living. Let's get one objection out of the way real quick because I'm telling you, like, strive to be painful or whatever. It's not masochism, okay? It's not... BDSM, anything you're into, masochism chooses highly ritualized and controllable forms of pain that repeat themselves over and over. There's no forward motion in that is a cycle. It's actually how they create their comfort zone. And you think about that if you've ever been on a call and someone uses like self-harming techniques to, um, to cope with things, right? That's their comfort zone. The reversal of desire seeks out the necessary pain all of us have to face in order to keep moving forward through life and to realize our goal. This will be like the pain of rejection a performer must face, the pain of aloneness when you leave an abusive relationship, the pain of concentration when you try to learn a new language. But with this tool, the pain barrier can no longer stop you from living life to the fullest. And I can just think of many times in my personal life and experience where I have stopped when I felt that pain barrier. There was a time, I think I was in ninth grade. I did stand-up comedy for the first time. It was terrible. I got a book on my shelf called I Killed. It's stories about famous comedians and their worst performances ever. That was me. And that was the only time I've ever done stand-up comedy to date. It was just, it was mortifying. You know, and, and who knows, you know, and I've been, in, I've been, I've done performing arts most of my life up until like adulthood, but that was enough to stop me. And really, I mean, I can tell you many times since then that I've, I've kind of retracted this podcast is the most performance quote unquote that I've done in probably six, seven years ever since I left my band. So it really, it can stop you. Right. And, and you got to move forward forward with that because even with this podcast when i put it out every week i'm like oh man what kind of shit am i gonna get back for it and that could go for you know what kind of shit are people gonna talk about my guests about my opinion opinions you know is it gonna get you know is it gonna blow up in my face for whatever and it it happens it's a risk that i'm willing to take right and so that's what this is all about and to kind of tie this into stoic philosophy that really goes into Kind of. It's not quite, but it goes into the idea of the principle of amor fati, loving fate. Um, as things come to you, just loving it and dealing with it and going with it. Um, th this is a little different because you're literally seeking out things that are going to make you uncomfortable and feel quote unquote pain. But it's the same idea. Like, if, oh man, you know, I got booed off stage doing stand up comedy. All right, I love it. Let's go do it again. Right? Same idea. Not saying I'm going to go do stand up comedy anytime soon, but. It's kind of the idea. I think I'm past that. But 
The only bad news about this whole thing is that you can't just use this tool once and be set free, right? It's an ongoing process. Like all the tools that Phil talks about in his books, this reversal of desire is designed to be used over and over again. And unlike a child learning to walk, an adult must consciously choose to use this tool, this idea, each time. The cost is constant vigilance and effort. But if you refuse to pay, you'll be stuck in a never-ending cycle, more oppressive and counterproductive, called the comfort zone. So that being said, guys, keep the reversal of desire in your mind as we move to our conversation and doing the hard things first. That's kind of something that I've adopted many ways. You know, I still, you know, I still avoid certain things, especially things I'm not good at. But I remember being a kid, right, and. You get your plate for dinner and let's just pick an, a vegetable that kids don't like. Spinach or asparagus or broccoli or whatever, right? But then I would have like, you know, some, some beef or chicken or whatever else on the plate as well. And even to this day, I will like eat the rest. Well, kind of more mature now in my eating. But like if there's something that I really like on that plate, I will eat everything else and I'll save the best for last, right? Same idea, like I will go for that spinach first and I will, I'll eat that, get that out of the way, right? And then so on and so forth. That's not a perfect analogy, but you kind of get the idea. So that being said, a lot of people, here's another idea that just kind of came to my head. When people work out, they will go to the cardio first, right? They'll hit, they'll hit the treadmill, they'll go do a run, they'll go do a row, whatever. They'll do that first because they like lifting. So they'll do the hard thing or the thing they don't like first and then go beyond that. Okay, so just keep that in mind because this episode talks a lot more about nutrition and fitness and things like that. But there's an overall umbrella conversation here, so kind of go with that. All that in mind, here it is. Here's my conversation with Ted Stern on the 10-8 podcast. We're back, and I've got my buddy Ted here. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Charlie. How about you? Oh, not too bad. You know, we've um, we've kind of been linked up on Instagram for for a little while now, but this is our first official like face to face, so to speak, conversation. So it's, it's nice to finally do this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So for everyone that doesn't know, and I know I, I give an intro before we get to this part of the episode, but this is Ted. Uh, he is the runner of, or the, the owner, I guess you could say, of, of Fit yeah. Responders. And uh, for everyone that's been following the show for any amount of time, Fit Responders has been a sponsor of the show for a long time and um, because it's very important. But, but we're going to get into that in just a second. Let's go ahead and start from scratch. Ted, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit your backstory, and and we'll go from there. What's up, everyone? Thanks for listening. My name is Ted Stern. I'm 35 years old. I'm married. I got four kids. Um, I live in Utah. I used to be a deputy in Southern California, along with my wife. That's where we met on the job. Um, So I was a deputy for about 11 years or so and uh loved my job worked a bunch of different assignments um but uh you know my wife and i were both very much into fitness health nutrition training and we both had a similar background in that we were both uh, personal trainers and coaches 
So that was kind of a cool uh, connection we had. And we often had, you know, a few people that we coached uh, just, you know, primarily just helping with their fitness goals. What are common goals? You know, losing fat, building muscle, um, various reasons, right? People want to feel more energized. They want more confidence. They want to perform better on the job. And most of our clients were first responders just because that was most of our friends and our, our coworkers. Um, and plus, I'd like to thank, you know, with, with all our kids and with our both of us working full time, we knew kind of how to juggle it all. You know, we knew how to stay fit and kind of balance all those challenges. Right. So, yeah, we, we had some clients ongoing, but uh, it wasn't until I snapped my ankle that my life changed in a lot of crazy ways, a lot of great ways. So before I get to that, just a little background on that. Um I was out of shape myself as a cop. You know, I was like 30 plus pounds overweight. At one point I had high blood pressure and my final straw was when the doctor handed me that prescription. He's like, you know, you ought to lose some weight. You are pretty heavy. And I just felt totally embarrassed. I felt like a hypocrite. You know, I was, I was a, I had a background in personal training. I had clients myself. Uh, I, but I just, I, I struggled to maintain sort of consistency. Right. But my wife actually showed me some cool kind of, approaches, especially to nutrition and training that just really kind of opened my eyes to what, what I could achieve in a very doable way. So long story short, I made a big transformation myself. Don't have high blood pressure anymore. Anyways, back to snapping the ankle. So sorry to be long winded here, Charlie, but uh, nope, you're good. I snapped my ankle at work. I was jump roping, uh, warming up for like uh, some arrest and control practice. I was um, assigned to the academy and part of the arrest and control, like cadre, you know, teaching those things. So we we're kind of warming up for practice and I was jump roping and I landed on my foot in a weird way on a, on a squishy wrestling mat. So it just folded under me, snapped my ankle second day on the job at, at that assignment. And I was honestly depressed, Charlie. I was freaking so depressed. Like, how is this going to happen to me right now? I just got my dream job. You know, life's going great. Now I'm sidelined. Um, and if anyone's had a significant injury, it's it can make you depressed. You know, you, you can't do a lot of the things you normally do, especially if you like to be fit and healthy. It's really annoying. So anyways, on that couch laying there, I remember just thinking, I got to just be productive. I can't just lay here and be depressed. So I started reaching out to more people. I got more active on social media. Um, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm off work right now, so I'll coach more people and I have the time for it. Right. That's when fit responder just took off. So like my wife and I just became inundated with clients just like, and, and I remember going, babe, I could do this full time. Like, I love doing this. I love helping the people we're helping, you know, every day I get excited to get up to quote unquote work and coach them. And we're making a big impact. You know, and she was definitely resistant at first to the even even the thought of me quitting as a deputy, right? Like giving up the pension, giving up the mm. quote unquote security, right? But anyways, after some time went on, I just realized what are my options, right? Like stay a deputy and kind of like have a, a handful of clients, but never do anything big with Fit Responder. Or what if, what if I quit? What if I focus on Fit Responder full time? You know, make this my full time job, so to speak, and then you know maybe eventually reach enough people to where we're well known throughout the country and maybe I can make big differences with departments. And so I have big goals, Charlie. And that's any, anyways, that's the decision I made. I, I quit even a year after getting promoted or less than a year after getting promoted 
um, with, with great things going on in my career, I quit. So here I am, my wife and I, we moved out of Southern California because now we work remotely, obviously, which was really nice to get out of that state. No offense to people who live there. It's a beautiful state. It's just ran by idiots. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we are. So Fit Responder is my full-time gig. I love it. Love coaching people. Love the success stories. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying chatting with you today. Awesome. Awesome. That's a, that's a great story because I think a lot of people can resonate. I know a lot of people that suffered significant injuries and that's typically where bad things happen, right? You know, if they, if it, especially if it like ends their career, you know, like you said, you get depressed, you kind of lose that sense of self worth almost, you know? Yeah. So the fact that you took what could be traumatic or not, not even necessarily traumatic, but significant and you kind of spun it into something so good is is very good now what now you said in the beginning of the story that you were a um a personal coach basically way back then what got you into that in the first place yeah so what's funny is like injuries (laughs) i'm i'm kind of a klutz and um you know, I could list a bunch of serious injuries. And if I told you how each one of them happened, you'd be like, gosh, that's unlucky or that's weird. Um, it's never what you'd expect. It's not me trying to showboat in the gym or anything like that. It's always just weird stuff. But anyways, when I was uh, 18, I um, was wrestling with a buddy. We were just kind of roughhousing. And uh, I ended up like colliding my head against a piece of furniture. I got a blood clot in my brain. I needed emergency surgery. So while recovering from that surgery was when um, I got my body was super weak because I was bedridden for like two weeks. So the per, the physical therapist was like, hey, let me show you some exercises to get stronger, rehabilitate your weak shoulder. Because I've been sleeping on my shoulder and I couldn't even like lift my arm. So as the physical therapist showed me these exercises and I was getting stronger and stronger, that's kind of like when it, the bug bit me to be like, you know, I want to get strong. I like building muscle. This is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that injury turned into something positive right there. Right. And, uh, so then I, I got my personal training, uh, certificate and, um, I trained clients in different capacities and commercial gyms or just one-on-one. Um, and then just, you know, kind of just kept that going over the years. And I'm a student of, of it myself. I've had multiple fitness coaches, multiple trainers. Um, so it's just something I love because, I've just seen in so many ways, especially on the job as a cop, how being fit and muscular is really beneficial. It's, it's beneficial in, in countless ways. And anytime I've gotten away from that, like I've been injured or when I told you I got overweight and had high blood pressure just because, you know, I kind of let normal excuses uh, cloud my vision with overtime and night shift and, uh, Oh, hey, I'm still strong. You know, I'm a power lifter, neglecting the fact that I was also fat and had high blood pressure, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. anyways, that's kind of how that background and training uh, developed. Um, just me being a student myself and coaching people over the years and going remote was was a huge benefit for my clients. Because think about this, Charlie, if you go with a personal trainer in a gym, you might see them maybe twice a week. Uh, if you can make the appointments and your schedules line up and what that person's going to do for you is, yeah, they may give you a workout routine. Uh, most likely, by the way, they're doing the same thing with every single client they have. Mm-hmm. That's just notorious with personal trainers. Um, and that's it. You know, the rest of the days you're kind of left to your own devices. You got no nutrition coaching. You don't get to talk to them about how you're doing. There's no accountability. So like switching to remote allowed me to connect with clients 
more in depth and uh, and more frequent. So it got better results. So I've actually been able to help people in a better capacity uh, coaching them remotely. I, I definitely could see the benefit of that. You know, we live in a world where our phones connect us to so much information and how much of that information is actually good. What I've noticed, especially in things in the realm of nutrition or fitness or, or just kind of that kind of that way is you can look up all this stuff, right? But unless you actually have someone who knows what they're talking about, you're kind of very easily led astray. Like you can follow any nutrition guide that's out there. You can Google it and something will come up. But if it's not tailored to you properly or, you know, if it's not accurate enough um, or if there's no science behind it, you know, you could actually do more harm than good. And by you doing it remotely, the amazing thing is that you – you don't need just a client in Southern California or Utah. You can have a client in Maine, in, in Mississippi, like all over the country. And like you said, you're that way you are helping people, more people. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. I'd say some of the two biggest issues in the fitness world is there's misinformation, whether it's intentional, malicious, or just, you know, mistaken right? Admirable, but mistaken. Like there's a lot of that where people are trying to help others, but they just, they're just regurgitating stuff they've been taught before and they're not very flexible. There's a lot of coaches that mean well, but they're not good coaches. But then, yeah, there's a lot of malicious stuff like the whole liver King, just to drop his name with, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, let me sell you these stupid supplements and you get jacked like me. Uh, And then, and then, yeah. And then there's, so there's the misinformation piece. And then also, as you just correctly pointed out, everyone is not anyone. And it is in the sense that like you need some form of customization for best chance at good results. I mean, for some, and it depends where they're at in their journey, right? Some people, it's like a huge milestone for them to just not eat, you know, candy every day, honestly, like that's, that's a big step for them. And for some other people, it's, dialing in that six pack and just kind of like refining things more closely. Um, so where you start at and like what approach works best for people has to be flexible. And a lot of coaches aren't good at that. Right. And I, I think that's a good point. And uh, kind of the ongoing theme that seems to come up in these conversations, and it doesn't matter what we're talking about. It could be nutrition. It could be your fitness. It could just be your own mental well-being. is that it's consistency over time and small steps lead to big steps. And, I think a lot of times, and this is, you know, I've, my entire life have dealt with my weight. It's always been something that I've looked at. And it's also something that I get fixated on numbers. And if the numbers don't go the way I want them to, I I can get discouraged very quickly and not weight related. But just for an example, I just bought a new thermometer and because my girlfriend's daughter was sick and my girlfriend just said this morning, she goes, uh, since you bought that thermometer, how many times have you checked your temperature? I was like, a lot. You know, a couple. She goes, yeah, exactly. And that's me with weight, and that's me with a lot of things. So, that being said, it's very easy for people to get off track. Like if they see that the numbers are going in the wrong direction or whichever, but they're not looking at the grand scale. So, you know, the the number may go up, but then it's actually going down in the grand scale, but it's easy to get derailed. And I think without proper coaching or, or at least someone to guide you along that way, it's very easy to get discouraged yourself. Oh, for sure. And like one of the major roles of a good coach is reassurance when it's needed. And even, you know, reassurance when maybe things aren't really going well for the client themselves. Right. Because 
one of the prob one of the biggest problems people have with fitness, right, is self negotiation and self basically negative self talk is how I would mm-hmm. kind of summarize the whole thing, and that could mean, oh, I've gained a pound this week, it's not going well, I quit, or I need to change something. Right. It could mean, oh, you know, that was good enough. That workout was good enough. Or, oh, I ate pretty good today, so I could have this. And it's like we we trick ourselves without even realizing it, you know. So one of the best benefits of having a coach is having like a third uh, unbiased perspective on how things are going and whose sole interest is making sure you're you're successful in your goals. Um and, you know, there's many times with weight, scale weight, gosh, people love to focus on that. It's a piece of data out of many pieces of data. Mm-hmm. But I can show you a, a fantastic fat loss and muscle gain transformations where they didn't lose any weight or they even gained a pound or they lost two. But, yeah, it, that's big, Charlie, is, is people will get discouraged when they ought not to be. So a lot of times as a coach, I'm like, hey, man, dude, listen, you're, you're fine. And this is why. And Let's look at the big picture. Let's zoom out. Um, one theory I have, which pr- probably is pretty like under, like it's just intuitively true, is that we will try to trick ourselves out of um, work. We'll try to, mm-hmm, we'll, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's subconscious. It's not intentional, but like the excuses we create or the doubts we have or the fear, the skepticism. And that goes for a lot of people who are interested in, in the program, the Fair Responder program. A lot of people are skeptical, fearful, doubtful. And these are all things like so many things that hold us back from our goals. I mean, shoot, what if I said, man, I'm scared to quit my career in law enforcement. It could go wrong. I'm skeptical. I'll I'll do well as a coach long term. Well, if that didn't happen, there would have been a lot of people whose lives I couldn't have helped, you know, impact in very serious ways. I I wouldn't be here in Utah and living a great life with my family. And I'm very happy I made that decision. Right. So not to go too far, like in one direction, but, you know, just to that point that we talk ourselves out of a lot of things. And I think a, a big part of being a good coach is helping people stay in the right lane, stay in the right path, not get derailed by their own doubts, skepticism, pessimism. And Charlie, you're not alone, man. So many clients, they like get fixated on something and they will get de- derailed and discouraged. And I really do believe it's the subconscious brain subconscious mind saying cool let's back away from this challenge let's let's go go back to our comfort zone which right, ultimately yeah. leads them to, it ultimately leaves them to misery is is kind of the ironic thing the comfort zone is what leads people back to the same crappy position they've been stuck in i think you're absolutely right with that i uh a couple of years ago i was working with a nutritionist he was on the show and there were times where i would do my weekly weigh-in and he, same same thing like you said he did not um didn't love the scale. Like he took your weekly weigh in, but didn't love the scale. Cause it's just a single piece of information. And it got to a point where I was like plateauing and I was close to my goal and I was getting frustrated. And you know, he basically said so many things factor in to your weight, the number, right? It could be how you slept, how you are digesting your food, whatever. It means so much, there's so much more to that number than what you see when you step on the scale. So I think that's an important thing you said as well. And as far as self-talk and kind of talking ourselves out of it in the comfort zone, it's actually, the comfort zone is something that I've been focusing a lot on like the past week. I just watched, um, I watched a documentary about this psychiatrist and then I read his, I'm reading his book and he talks about the, the comfort zone itself and I think you put it very well when you said about, you know, 
leaving law enforcement and and taking this step uh, full time. But I feel like any big journey that you go on, whatever it may be, personal, professional, so on, um, requires that brave step forward, that hero's you know quest starting. And you think of all anything, right? Any anything out there. That if you just stayed in your comfort zone, like, why do we have to rock the boat? Everything is fine the way it is right now. It might be fine, but it could be so much better. And I think that's what everyone kind of gets confused on. It's like, oh, I don't need to do this because I'm good now. I'm all right right now. No, Okay, maybe, but it could be so much better. Exactly. How many times have you heard someone say, hey, listen, I achieved something incredible, something life-changing, uh, something that has just improved my quality of life and my future life in immensely. And it was like falling off a log and took absolutely no guts from me whatsoever. And it just all kind of unfolded accidentally. That doesn't happen. Not at all. It's always like, Hey, I took this chance. I put in effort, you know, I, I followed good guidance and I took the right steps, even though it was scary, hard, man, I'm so grateful I did it. Yeah. Uh, every single time, every, Think of any person that you aspire to, you know, they, they don't live comfortably because if they did, you wouldn't know who they were. They wouldn't be someone that you looked up to. No one looks at someone and goes, that's a mediocre person. I want to be just like them. That's not, no, that's, that's not how it works. So right. I think you're absolutely right. I think the comfort zone, obviously the, the saying, you know, comfort zone is what will kill you or something like that. Uh, while it's true, I, it, I don't really like that saying, but you need to bust out of it. And I think that's, that's exactly it. And if, if changing your diet is that first step out of that comfort zone, I think that's, that's a very, that's a simple step to take first. Yeah. And one point I think to make here is that, listen, usually the most difficult steps in any journey are the first ones. Mm -hmm. It's just like going on a jog, right? The hardest part is the first five minutes. And then you're like, okay, I feel better. And that goes with nutrition changes that goes with so many things. And you can fall in love with that discomfort. I used to hate working out. I used to absolutely despise it as a young teenager. The idea like, gosh, why would I subject my to that? It hurts. Like it's pain. Like it doesn't feel good to like push yourself that hard. But eventually I fell in love with it because of the side effects. I mean, not to create a weird analogy, but like think about a heroin addict. I mean, freaking injecting a needle into your vein is freaking awful but they learn to love it because of the results, right? They learn right. to like crave that initially terrible thing that's scary and awful and painful because <laughs> so similarly, I brush my teeth, not because it feels incredible when I brush my teeth, but like, I like the results of not having tooth decay and I like having healthy teeth. So I go to the gym and, and this is the funny part too. A lot of people say, Ted, how do you stay motivated? I wish I was like you. I wish I loved going to the gym. And it's like, look, I love it for the results that it gets, but I don't, I don't love it. There's many times where I'm like, oh gosh, I'd rather lay in bed. I'd rather not go. I would rather watch TV. Shit. I'd rather play on my phone, but I love what it brings me so much with my confidence, my, my strength the example I'm, I'm leaving to my kids, my energy, I, then I just feel like I'm compelled to do it. You know? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of these things that are, challenging the scariest and most difficult thing is the first couple of steps. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I also think the dopamine that comes from working out and the rush of endorphins, I think that's what always keeps me coming back to like, if I'm having a shitty day and I just want to, you know, cause I typically work out after work and 
you know, I'm like, you know what, let me just, I'm going to go home and relax and, you know, I need to, I need to get this day over with, you know, but I don't. And I go to the gym instead. And whereas I would just have wallowed in self pity once I got home, you get to the gym, you work out, you burn a few calories, you pump some endorphins through your body. Suddenly, what was I mad about again? What was I upset about? Like, it doesn't matter. Not only am I, we'll talk about this in just a second, actually, but like so many great things come from it. And yes, that, that, difficult first step of just going there in the first place for a lot of people. And I, you know, there's people that follow my page that I talk to that, you know, when I did push my nutritionist or when I was pushing uh, fitness or whatever it might be, they're like, ah, oh, I just can't, I can't get going. I can't do it. And I'm like, I say you need to, you know, but it's hard to motivate. Someone has to want to do it themselves, you know? Totally. The first step is always on them, man. I had a dude who reached out. He was interested in the program. And then kind of like fell off. I couldn't, you know, he ghosted me on a couple of messages. Okay. He came back to me down the line. He's like, dude, Ted, I had a heart attack on duty. I was just sitting in my unit. I wasn't even doing anything. I need to get serious. I was like, well, man, that's scary. I could see why that's pushing you to get, let's get started. He ended up ghosting me again. I don't know where the hell, what happened. And we never, he never signed up. But unfortunately too many people, especially first responders, dude, we could go on this topic too. Charlie's like, the number of times people have told me their stories about their failures and the ways that, that failure manifests itself in real life based on their neglect of their fitness and health. And they wait until that wake up call, you know, they wait until <clears throat> something pretty serious or embarrassing happens to be like, you know what, actually now's the time. And, and they all, re- they all say the same thing, man. I wish I just got started sooner. Yeah. Why did I neglect this for so long? And to your point about training and a fit lifestyle being therapeutic, man, depression is a real thing. Anxiety is a real thing. A lot of cops suffer from it. PTSD, you name it. Um, A lot of cops are on antidepressants. You'd probably be surprised, but I hear a lot from my clients who tell me what they're on. And there's kind of this cliche saying, but like, if you don't live a fit and healthy lifestyle first, you're not giving yourself a fighting chance to beat that, that depression or that low Mm -hmm. mood, whatever you want to call it. Because one of the transformation pieces that I love more so than so-and-so now looks better in a bikini is so-and-so now says, dude, Ted, I'm feeling way better. I'm in a better mood. I'm happier. I treat my kids better. Like my wife and I have a better relationship. So like what I love about fitness and health, and that's what keeps me in great shape is that the psychological is tied to the physiological. We forget that the brain is part of the same machine as the rest of your body. So when you take care of yourself, and you're fitter and you're healthier, uh, you know, I challenge you, if you're not in a good mood and you're anxious or you're depressed or you, you have, you're irritable or you, you're, you have a short fuse, and if you know your fitness and health needs to be improved, I guarantee, I seriously guarantee, you get fitter and healthier, I promise you your mood will improve every time. Right. So that's just, I mean, that's why I'm passionate about this because I know from firsthand experience and from helping hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of the years, the benefits that that, it, that fitness and health prioritization has. And it, it's kind of that old adage of like garbage in, garbage out, right? Like if you're putting bad stuff in your body and you're not working out or anything like that, um, that means you're not getting the proper nutrients anyway. And, you know, we talk about nutrients being for health purposes, but we don't understand that the vitamins and minerals and things that are in these healthy food choices 
have other impacts on your body as well. It's not just for weight loss. Like you need certain vitamins so your brain acts a certain way. You need certain minerals so your body regulates things a certain way. Your fight or flight in in uh, instincts are changed by what's in your body. So if all you've got is processed foods and and you know fatty foods or whatever, your entire body slugs down, and you're not you're not you. You're not you know you're not you're not gonna put unleaded regular unleaded gas in a high octane engine and it's the same way you shouldn't put shit food in a high performance body 100 percent, charlie yeah that, i mean preach preach it man because so many people are micronutrient and vitamin deficient due to their diets and what i mean it does a whole host of negative uh outcomes as you just described but also a lot of cravings come from lacking in the proper micronutrients and, and vitamins and whatnot. Um, and it just manifests in you being like, I'm hungry. I want to eat more. I feel snacky, you know? And when, I mean, one of the best results that I love seeing with clients is, is before you see major changes in the pictures, which is like what everybody's eyeballs are attracted to. Right. It's when they say two weeks into it, Ted, I have more energy. Like, I just feel better. I am more productive. I don't know why, but like, I just have to spring out of my seat and clean the house. And um, I'm just, you know, as you just said, like food is fuel, but people think about it in terms of, well, fuel for what? I guess my workouts. I'm like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'll look better if I don't eat some of the crap I eat. No, like I challenge you dial in your nutrition well, and you will see the, yeah, you'll see the physical benefits uh, over the months, but in the short run, you will feel a hell of a lot better. So, I mean, that's why it's my, it's my religion, so to speak, in terms of just pushing for a fit and healthy lifestyle, you know, it's, it's helped my wife and I excel in so many ways. I've seen so many clients excel and it's dude, it's so, it's like the ripple effect. It's like, wow, we've suddenly we're pregnant. We've been trying for years. Well, what happened? Your hormones got into a better balance because you've been feeding yourself better. Right. You know, I got the promotion at work. What did that stem from? What did that ripple effect stem from? Well, you're more confident. Maybe you look better in uniform. Maybe your supervisors saw that you're serious and you're getting fit and healthy and you're more productive at work. You know, so like the benefits are just endless. And and I think I think when people hear more about the value and the potential they could see in their own life and how that can improve maybe they'll, maybe that'll push them to take that first step, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And the, the ripple effect is, is definitely massive because as you're right, because people look at food and they look at working out as just simply that, and that's it. And all be all put the caps in. And they don't really realize that it impacts every single other aspect of your life. So we need to, we just being the general population here, we really need to look at food as like a fuel source to our entire being, not just how are we going to perform in the gym or, or things like that. I think it has a lot of uh, a lot of things to impact. Hundred percent. And one thing to add, though, it's it doesn't mean you have to like subscribe to a a whole food, plant based, only eat veggies and lean meats and fruits diet. That's unrealistic. And and there's a balance, right? And and I think this is what. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but what I've done well and what, what I've made sure is is a, a, the, one of the biggest components in the Fit Responder program is, first of all, yes, food is fuel and you want to prioritize some types of foods over others. But then there's also the flip side of the coin is 
how do you get someone to stick with that, be compliant with yeah. it and make it a doable process, right? So like too many fitness people overcomplicate it. Too many f- fitness people are overly restrictive. So like you have to find a balance. I'm a firm believer in it. My wife and I go on date nights. I go out to eat. I get stuff like lasagnas. She usually likes to get a drink or two. Um, you will eat dessert. You know, we'll, <laughs> I overate myself on Thanksgiving. I think people have this idea that, oh, you know, these fit people are maybe they see a picture of me with with a six pack. Right. And they're like, oh, Ted must eat nothing but super clean bodybuilder style diet year round. And no, like it's really about finding a good balance. So it will include some processed foods, imperfect foods. I do think that's a better approach so that you can enjoy yourself at times. But it's like it's like let's say you're an alcoholic, you know. But you want to let's say you, you want to or you need to have drinking in your life. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, right? Because we need food. But nevertheless, if you don't want to be an alcoholic, but you want to have alcohol in your life, you have to learn to manage it. You have to learn to like be imperfect, but go, OK, I'm only going to have one or two drinks and I will only have these types of drinks or I'll only drink in these types of just situations. So uh, just to not to ramble on that, but like you got to learn how to have a good balance and be imperfect so, you know, the people I work with all the time, you're, you can eat stuff like burgers and pizzas and tacos and go out to eat. And these these need to be regular things. But you also do have to balance it with with an overall better approach to your nutrition, if that makes sense. Yep, it definitely does. The other thing that you said in the beginning was about balancing your time, right? You said that you obviously you have a wife, you have kids, you have four kids um, and you, you were a full time police officer. And I think a lot of people they go, you know, oh man, I, I want to do all these things. I want to meal prep. I want to go to the gym, but, oh, but I got so much stuff I need to do. And it's like, okay, I understand that. But so many people already are able to handle it. What makes you different? Why can't you handle it? Why can't you make something work? And so I'm going to ask you, how did you manage to balance all those things? Obviously your, your, your career is important. Your family is important. And like you said, your nutrition and your physical well-being is important. How did you manage to balance all of those things? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and one thing that I, so I can tell you what my wife and I do as far as our approach. But going back to also, it depends on sort of the client's situation and, and their goals and what their lifestyle is. So, for example, let's say I have somebody who goes, Ted, I, I like to eat out. I like frozen meals. Um, I do go to fast food. It's just convenient for me. I will give them fast food choices. Hey, okay, go to Chick-fil-A. And what you're going to get is the grilled chicken sandwich and grilled nuggets. And that's your meal. Da, da, da. So like making it part of like your lifestyle or like convenient is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I But like, you know, meal prep is a big foundation to my wife and I and how fit we are. And it is something I preach to clients. But there's different approaches to meal prep. So what does meal prep mean? It means preparing food in advance. How you go about that matters a lot. So on one end of the spectrum, you might cook a very complicated meal that takes you three hours. Um, or that it could also mean snacks from your pantry that you throw in a bag and go to work. It requires no meal prep, no cooking, I should say, uh, whatsoever, right? But that's still a version of meal prep. So I'll take somebody like, where, where they're at. And I'll say, all right, like, what are foods you like? What are foods you dislike? Okay. Here's frozen meal options that are good for you. 
here's some quick stuff that you could whip together like a sandwich and then you're going to throw an apple and any of these types of protein bars in your bag so just make it convenient you know make it convenient and simple and you kind of find your routine right so like you might see two success stories in the fit responder program two guys let's say i share a story of hey these both these guys lost a good amount of fat and they're buffer and they feel better but one of them ate out four times a week and barely cooked and the other one loves to cook and he cooks every day and he cooks with his family and and that's okay like you know i'm not going to tell everybody hey there's a one size fits all approach but i will say general principles are that um just to give some quick tips here like you ought to start preparing meals and whether that's you're cooking something complicated or whipping together a sandwich or a wrap or throwing yogurt and hard boiled eggs and uh, string cheese and tuna packs in a bag. Like that's super easy, right? Anybody can do that in two minutes. You can get groceries delivered to your door nowadays. <laughs> so there really aren't any good excuses. Um, so just having a good routine and approach with that. And yeah, like, um, like I said, you know, some of our focuses are, are on whole foods. Veggies are good. Fruits are good. Lean meats are good, but also mixing in things like tortillas and breads and lasagna and chili and some like just familiar options that, that you like. Also, Charlie, like one thing too, is that you can make a lot of foods that are traditionally unhealthy, healthy, right? There's a lot of like food hacking out there. There's a lot of great pages you can follow too on Instagram that have little food hacks, but like those are really cool key things I like to teach people. Um, I'm going on a tangent, but let me try to circle back to your question. How do I balance it all? My wife and I love to meal prep. We cook twice a week, which takes maybe an hour on, on usually like a Sunday and a Wednesday. Um, I do eat snacks throughout my day though, that aren't things that I cook and they're, it's an apple, it's carrots, it's a protein bar, it's a protein shake, stuff like that. That was easy to do. I brought a lunch bag all the time with me to work. Um, you know, and I also had to learn how to do efficient training as well. So there's been many times in my life for months on end where I'm only working out three times a week for 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and you can stay in great shape working out that little if you're doing the right thing. So I think a lot of people look at fitness like it's too daunting. Like, okay, I'm going to have to work out seven days a week for two hours. Mm-hmm. And I have to cook these three-hour meals uh, every other day to keep myself prepared. And I'm constantly grocery shopping. That's not true. That doesn't need to be that way. So, you know, if you feel like it's that way, uh, you know, get yourself a good coach, get yourself somebody that can personally walk you through the right steps to getting a, a doable routine for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that goes back to what we were saying about the first step being the most daunting, uh, because a lot of people just don't know where to start, but because it can be, you know, when you're, when you're trying to change your entire lifestyle. Well, you don't actually have to rebuild the wheel in the first day, right? It's going to be small steps, consistency over time, and that's how you're going to get there. And a lot of people have to realize that. And I think that's what makes the biggest difference is realizing that, hey, you know, you don't have to get rid of everything in your cabinets day one, and you have to rebuild your entire kitchen and things like that. No. And I really liked what you were saying about the hacks, right? Like, you know, finding that, oh, well, this is an option to this. This is an option for this. Like, simple things like a low-carb tortilla wrap or, like, low-fat cheese or things like that, you're still getting that 
it's still something you like, but it's just a little bit different and it'll fit more into your, into your goals. Totally. I love teaching little things like that. Like, and a lot of people are sabotaging themselves in ways they don't realize, like they don't realize how detrimental it is to get their favorite coffee at Starbucks. Like, you know, that it's 400 calories in it. You know, that's that's enough calories to be in a meal itself. I didn't realize that, you know? Um, So there's a lot of that going on. Uh, They've done studies on this, by the way, there's an interesting study where, um, they had a lot of overweight participants who said that they were eating a certain number of calories or whatever. And the ones that didn't see good results, uh, as the study proved, they were eating more than they thought they were. They were consuming mm-hmm. more calories than they thought they were. So there's a lot of self-sabotage going on. Um, but as you said, we don't need to re- rebuild everything. And it can be small steps. So like I've helped a lot of guys in in particular lose a really good amount of weight and and gals, but like, let's say somebody has a hundred pounds to lose when they try it on their own. Oftentimes they're like, okay, I'm going to go seven days a week for an hour and I'm only eating veggies and I'm only going to drink sparkling water and nothing. And then they like fall off after two weeks. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of times with clients like that, I might say, Hey, we're going to start with three 30 minute walks during your week. And I actually just want you to make sure that you you prepare your breakfast every morning. And here's five options. Let's start with that. That's it. I don't care what you do otherwise. We're starting with that. Oh, really? That just seems too easy. Oh, let's start with it. Let's let's start. And progress starts to happen. And we kind of make some incremental changes as we go. Um, you know, because if I want somebody to become a pre- professional basketball player, I'm not going to have them practice like a pro basketball player day one and start dunking mm-hmm. on day one. Let's start dribbling. And we'll, we'll work our way up. So similarly with clients, like I like I like to look at a person's lifestyle as it is now. And let's start making small changes in different areas as we go. And that tends to yield awesome long-term results because the habits are built. It's more comfortable. They can stick to it. They're encouraged every week because they're seeing results with very doable changes. Does that make sense? That that makes perfect sense. I mean, that that's amazing. I loved hearing that because so many people – I mean, you're talking and I hear it's like you're talking to me from a few years ago when I had no idea what I was doing and I would just go to the gym seven days a week for two hours at a time. But the problem is it's not sustainable or, you know, I would do these crazy meal preps. And again, it's not sustainable. I think I said in a previous episode that I'm good at the first week of a workout program or first week of a meal program. It's that second week where, all right, now I got to kind of do it all over again. That's where I lose it. And I feel like a lot of people have the problem of staying consistent because they're trying to do too much too quickly. Whereas if they just do, like you said, the three 30 minute walks with, you know, preparing a breakfast or something, one meal, um, or just, you know, packing more snacks or just whatever it might be like these little tiny things, you know, that is the most important step. And the analogy you said about, you know, if you want to be a world-class basketball star, we're not going to start with, you know, playing one-on-one with Kobe Bryant. We're going to start with, you know, dribbling. And I think that's that's really important and a great perspective for people to have. So I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure, man. For the for the cops listening and, and the non-cops, you know, um, say they're sitting there. This episode's coming out right around New Year's, so this is perfect timing. Um, they're sitting there. They're ready to make their change. They're ready to kind of move forward, what are some things that they could start day one with, you know, just to get started, just to get things going? What what would you say? Well, first off, what would you say are some of the biggest issues that are brought to you first? Mm. 
Okay. Well, yeah. And, and to your point, like mo- a lot of our clients are cops. We work with a lot of different types of first responders, firefighters, EMS, military, um, you know, medical professionals. But then a lot, about a quarter of our clients have nothing to do with those careers. They just usually it's, wow, my friend got amazing results in your program. I want to, I want to join. But as far as like what issues come to the table, I would say the biggest thing is accountability. Like accountability is m- very important. And I, I think people seek it in the wrong way. So they think, okay, if I download an app, that's going to help hold me accountable. But no one gives a crap if you don't log into that app. Or, oh, my friend, my friend and I are going to start working out together. That might be good. But also, if you tell your friend I'm sick and I'm tired and I don't, oh, I'll, I'll meet you next week, they're probably not going to push back too far and you don't have any skin in the game. So the reason why I've had over a dozen fitness coaches myself, and I've had one as recently as two months ago, that might sound crazy, right? What the hell, Ted? You have this long history of fitness and, and nutrition and training. You've coached a lot of clients. Why did you get to coach yourself? Accountability matters a lot. So I think the biggest issue people have, Charlie, just to answer that question, is they, the self-negotiation, the, the talking themselves out of things, talking themselves into things, all of those things being contrary to their, their goals or contrary to the right path to their goals. So like think about the systems in life we have where we want people to succeed, whether that's education or sports or uh, on the job. Right. So one analogy I like to use, Charlie, is like, hey, imagine field training. But your field trainer says, hey, I'm not going to give a damn if you show up to calls or how well you'll do. No one's going to watch you to see that you're doing the right things and no one's going to communicate with you. And if you have any struggles, I'm not there to help you. Uh, go ahead and Google it. Best of luck. Even if you wanted to succeed, even if you wanted to succeed, how well would you succeed in that environment? You would not succeed at all because you didn't have any education or accountability. So like my biggest tip is, Hey, if you're struggling and you've been struggling, uh, don't even, you know, I don't want to plug myself cause I don't want this to seem insincere. I want to s- stress that getting a coach is one of the most, a good coach is one of the most impactful things you could do. Because they will give you the right tools and information and guidance. But then also there's a high amount of accountability. Crap, I'm paying this person. I don't want to waste that. So I better listen. I better try it. And, and that just gets the momentum going. Um, but like, I, I don't know if you want me to elaborate on that, Charlie, like quick tips that I could just give as far as like. Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting to. Yeah, if you want to give some quick tips for people to kind of start implementing um, yeah. so that way they can start to, you know, see the, see the way, and then they can kind of make their decision what to go from there. I would say, so first of all, planning is huge. So if you're creating your own plan, I would suggest you set aside time every day for activity. I know that's a broad term, but look at your schedule, look at your calendar and go, how can I fit in 30 minutes of something? Even if it's a freaking walk, start with that. Okay. 30 minutes a day, start walking. And I want you to like commit to certain rules for yourself. So for me, I I eat out once or maybe twice a week. So create a rule for yourself. What's realistic? I'm going to eat out twice per week. And I want you to start practicing meal prep. This could be as easy as the grocery stores almost always sell pre-packaged meals. They sell pre-cooked meat. They sell, uh, you know, pre-packaged everything. So start with that. Start with getting, bringing stuff to work, even if it's not ideal. I mean, use your common sense and avoid the most standard junk food. So don't bring chips to work. (laughs) 
you know, don't, don't bring uh, full calorie sodas. I'm a, I'm a believer that zero calorie is fine. Zero calorie sodas are fine. Um, but start practicing some form of meal prep in that you're bringing food to work. Cause a lot of times we make bad decisions when we're hungry and we're short on time, right? Crap. I'm in between calls. I'm hungry. Okay. I'll just stop at fast food. Okay. All of a sudden you got a double bacon cheeseburger and you got fries. So if you pre-plan and you bring food to work in a lunch bag, you have your food with you. It's convenient. You can eat it in your car. It's going to be cheaper. So that's my big, quick, uh, you know, dirty message, quick and dirty message there. Or quick tips is like 30 minutes of dedicated activity per day. Start with walking. Start with maybe a circuit where you hit every machine in the gym for a set or two. And that way you get the rhythm and the momentum going of, okay, I, I'm, I'm mentally prepared myself and used to getting activity every day for 20 to 30 minutes. And similarly with the meal prep, I'm used to bringing food with me and eating that and avoiding some of the other junk. Just those couple of things alone can make a huge difference. Um, oh, and water, drink enough water. This is, it's so simple, but it's so true. Like not enough people are hydrated mm. and that can manifest as hunger and cravings. So my rough rule of thumb is everybody uh, will ought to consume at least two liters of water per day. Um, some people, if you're bigger, might need to be three liters to a gallon. But I carry around a big water bottle, a half gallon water bottle. And if, I know if I drink two of those in a day, I'm good. So start with that. Start with two liters of water plus prepping some food, bringing it to work. Um, and 30 minutes of general activity dedicated every day just to get yourself in that rhythm. Mm -hmm. And you might be surprised how much that alone can do for you. Absolutely. I, I agree completely. And what I was just thinking as well, you know, when you said that when you're short on time and, and you know, running between calls, you just hit the drive through and you're like, oh, you wound up with the double bacon cheeseburger and fries. Okay. So I'm even going to go a little bit further with that because we've all been there where, you know, oh shit, I didn't get, I didn't pack my lunch today. I'm going to hit the drive through. We don't have to do the double burger and fries. You could get the single patty. You could do, you know, like there are ways to scale that down. If you're in a, in a bind, I know back when I was, um, on the road and, and I was quick between calls or whatever, I would hit like a Jimmy John's or whatever. And instead of getting like the giant Mondo Italian sub, I might get, you know, just like something simple, you know, a Turkey or whatever. There's ways to scale down your options. So you're not getting the worst thing on the menu. Like just because you have a bad food option, you don't have to pick the worst option that's there. So true. Actually, one of the clients that um, that's on the Fit Responder program now, she's like, you know, I didn't do that well today. I drank a Mountain Dew because it was convenient. And I said, do you think like getting a glass of water would have been just as convenient though? To be real, she's like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean. Sometimes those those funny those simple funny conversations have to happen, but yeah, Charlie, you're right. Like, you can go to almost any fast food joint and get something decent, something that's not going to be you know a two thousand calorie bomb to your gut. Like, and you know it doesn't have to be perfect. You can get chicken soft tacos at Taco Bell and say no to the sauce that comes on it. And the little things add up. You know, you save a few hundred calories here and there, and that can add up to long term success. And my diet as a whole, if you were to see the food I eat, um, you'd probably say it looks generally healthy, but you'd be like, wow, those are big meals. Or that doesn't even look healthy. That looks like it's a bunch of chicken enchiladas. But I make small decisions in there. Like you said, maybe this meal has low fat cheese versus full fat. Or 
this other meal, I'm using a low calorie barbecue sauce. And it's those little things that, that kind of fit into the total budget of my fitness that add up to my long-term success. And I'm not even consciously aware of it when I'm eating it, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, your food's got to taste good too. So if you're going to, even if you're going to eat, you know, the right way, making sure it's something that you actually enjoy. Like for me personally, I'm not a big avocado guy, so I'm not going to be having, you know, something that's heavy in avocado because I'm not going to, that's not going to be sustainable. I'm not going to stick with it. Same thing. You got to find things that you're going to eat and stick with. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's why, man, like so many guys in the program and gals will say like, you know, I'm constantly eating French toast, pizza, and tacos. And that sounds bad, right? But they're eating like healthier versions of it. And they're, you know, and they're dialing in the other things. They're drinking a little bit more water. They're getting in more activity and movement. Small changes can create huge results and it doesn't have to be painful. You don't have to cut out carbohydrates from your diet. You don't have to count calories and macros and carb cycle. And that's just another theme we could talk, touch on maybe another time, but it's like overcomplicating it and making it overly difficult for no reason. Why? Like why? It might feel, you might feel more proud of yourself for a week because you stuck Mm -hmm. to something so rigid. Right. Right. Are you going to do that for the next six months, 10 years, 20 years? That's a more important question right there. You're absolutely right. And that's, I think that's where they all fail. Like it it might be good for a little while, but it's going to fail because it's not, it's not practical. And you're going to hit that, that moment where you, yeah, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for that failure. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And people are scared of, to be, it's funny when people want to, when they're really motivated to hit goals. All right. I'm joining the program, Ted. I'm stoked. I can't wait to lose this fat and get fit. And maybe part of their plan. I'm like, Hey, go out to eat, go with your wife, go get basically whatever you want. I mean, don't go crazy, but go get a normal meal, get a cheeseburger, get a burrito and they'll freak out. No, wait, oh, uh, wait, I no, I don't want to do that. You know, I want perfect progress. And I'm like, look, I'm trying to teach you how to live your life in a way that allows for flexibility. Like, trust the process. You'll get results. Like, just follow along. Promise you you'll get results. But I think a lot of people are so ingrained in the idea that they have to be perfect and they have to be rigid and they have to be ultra strict to get results. And, and yeah, maybe that will get you some results in the short run. But, like, I'm interested in developing habits that are repeatable. That's that's so important. Yes. It's something that a lot of people just neglect, especially coaches. A lot of coaches out there are too rigid and flexible. No, this is the perfect diet you got to follow. No ifs, ands, or buts. And that just, it creates food guilt. It creates the weight loss and weight gain yo-yo. Um, so yeah, definitely problematic. Yeah, I agree completely. And some things, you know, some some changes that you make in your life, they become habits. They become like true lifestyle changes where, you know, like I haven't worked with my nutritionist in over a year now, but there are still things I do to this day that he taught me just that they were so instrumental in, in the progress that I did make that when I fell off the wagon and now I'm starting to get back on, I was like, Oh, well I know I need to do it this way. And boom, I put it back into practice and everything has been working fine. So those are the things that when you have a good coach, that's how it works. And, and it literally changes the way you live your life. Yeah, 100%. All right, Ted, we're going to be getting ready to wrap up here. I do have our last round of questions. These are the actual pre-written questions. These are what I call the mental minute, but it's not really just going to be a minute. So I'm going to ask you this question or these questions and just give me your answer. Try to don't think about it too hard, okay? Okay. Here we go. What is the best book you've read recently? Oh, man. Um, I have it right here. 
It is called um, The Daily Stoic. And that's an incredible page on Instagram to follow, by the way. You got your copyright there? Got mine oh, right there. Isn't that great? Yep. I love it. Stoicism is such a great brand of philosophy to, to follow. Yes. That's uh, like I'd say probably a good 40% of the books on here are somehow Stoic related. It's it's when I when I got into stoicism probably shit it's probably eight years ago now like it, it definitely changed my life it totally changed the way I look at everything hundred percent it's it is life changing and it's huge and I, I try to teach a lot of that stuff to my clients as well yeah absolutely it go it kind of you know it goes to and and people that listen to the podcast regularly are probably going to get tired of me saying this. It's going to turn into a drinking game is what's going to happen. But if you focus on the things you can control versus the things you can't control, you can even apply that to your fitness and your nutrition. Um, like if you had a busy day at work, you can't really control that. That's what happens. But you can control what you do after that. So if you – like I said, if – I, if you come home and just veg on the couch, that's one way to do it. Or you could go to the gym, work out some of that stress, and you'll feel better at the end, and you made progress too. So I think you're absolutely right. That's that's cool that that was your book. You're not the first person to have said that too, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. What is something you do to ground yourself? Um, okay, I like to think I have a good vocabulary, but I guess what do you mean by ground yourself? Like when when things are going crazy, what do you do to kind of bring you back to center? I guess just to not to be redundant, but like I, I kind of employ that stoic philosophy and go like, okay, stop for a second. What's the practical thing to do now? What is the practical thing to do now? That's actually what actually drew me into law enforcement is I thought something that was so badass was the cop that can go into a chaotic situation and calmly say, Hey, here's what we're doing. Hey, you over there, you sit down and you, you're going to do this. And, call shots when everyone else is going, ah, mm-hmm. and like, I really wanted that to be my character. I, I wanted as, and I, and I, tr- I've tried to develop this over the years, but like stop for a second and go, what's practical. What's smart. What is like the badass? not like badass in terms of a tough guy who beats people up, but like a badass in terms of like, what is someone who's emotionally strong, mentally resilient and, and intelligent and logical what does that person do in this situation what do i have control over and you know what is the next step to take so you know there's times where i feel i mean i'm a human being there's times where i feel low or i'm sad or i'm angry or i'm depressed or i'm anxious or i'm stressed and i go well all i have is the present moment and what are the tools i have available to me uh, to to correct the situation what are the steps I ought, to, I ought to take now to, to achieve the practical and best result that I want? Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Definitely does. Uh, what is something you do for self-care? Well, uh, I, I, I train. I love to work out for that, for the self-care. And, and I do watch what I eat. I have a good kind of routine with my nutrition. And those two things have uh, been a great, great thing in my life for sure. Would you open up an envelope with your death date written inside of it? Ooh. Would I open up an envelope? And all the information is the day of my death, right? Just the day. Not how, not why, anything like that. Just the day. I think I would. I think I would because even if it was a week from now, which would be scary, you know, I think it would help me guide my actions more. Um, and I know that a lot of smart people, even Stoics, say, like, live like today's your last day or that tomorrow's your last day, right? But, um. Yeah, it might help me prioritize certain things. Like, I mean, frankly, if I found out I was going to die next year, well, I'd probably stop 
everything and I'd spend every second I have with my kids because mm-hmm. I know they don't, they only have their dad for a year. Right. So yeah, I think I would do it just so it could maybe better inform my, my day-to-day actions because a lot of my day-to-day actions are the thought of what, what do I want to have happening 10 years from now? Right. Sure. <laughs> right? Like a lot of the things I do with fit responder is like, how can I work with most first responders in America in five years? How, how can I get everyone to know who fit responder is and how can I benefit them in some way? Right. But like, if I'm, if I'm going to die in a, a month, I might want to spend my time a little differently. Does that yeah. make sense? That, that makes a lot of sense. Good point. Would you be friends with yourself? Uh, I, absolutely. <laughs> Does that sound narcissistic or what? No, no, not at all. I would. What do you want from other people? Um, an open mind and kindness. What sort of impact are you looking to make and how will you make it? Kind of know the answer to this already, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, I, I hate the fact that first responders are statistically some of the most out of shape and unhealthy and obese people in America. I hate that they top the list almost every time. And that's, it's, it ought to be the opposite. So I want to know, you know, 30 years from now that like, I actually made a grand scale change in that, like the numbers would show it like that big of a a change. I mean, right now it's more individuals, right? But I would like to work with departments and I would like to create standards. I'd like to create programs and and support systems that get fit responders fit, healthy and happy. Um, You know, I have obviously have a soft spot in my heart for first responders because I was a cop for so many years. And those are my friends and my partners and the people who had my back and I had theirs. Um, And I can relate and I can understand why it's hard. So I I think I have the skill set, the drive and the the determination and the heart to do it. How do you define the word friendship? Um, I'd I'd say a friendship is a relationship that... uh, both parties um, are essentially attracted to the other, not in a romantic or sexual way, but in in a way that they find happiness through interacting with that other person. Um, and I guess there's there's other small things like elevated levels of trust. <laughs> kind of off of that, though, how do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Um, these are tough questions, Charlie. I like them. So what is <laughs> happiness and so the question was, what is happiness and what else? How do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? What makes me personally happy or what, what is the best path to happiness for humans? No, what makes you personally happy? Okay. Um, I'd say happy is having a generally positive outlook. Um, and, um, you know, I, yeah, I'd say just having a generally positive outlook because I think you can be in pain and, and be happy mm-hmm. or you could have things going wrong in your life and be happy because you got to maintain a positive outlook. So I'd say having a genuine positive outlook and perspective. And I think, I think we can create that a lot of the time. So what makes me happy is, uh, well, I, I focus my time and efforts on the things that I enjoy the most. Um, that serve my general well-being and, and also serves others. And they've done studies that like one big path to getting happy is to serve others in a, in a positive way. And, and actually, there was one study done that giving gifts made people happier than receiving them. So I've actually really started to, you know, 
employ that more so. So I'm giving, I'm being more generous with gifts, giving more gifts. And, and, uh, I kind of go out of my way uh, to do little nice things for people. And it makes me feel a lot happier. So mm -hmm. I'd say having a positive outlook and, uh, serving others in a positive, impactful way will, will be a, a pretty surefire way to be happier. Okay. And the last question I got for you, what do you think is the meaning of life? Hmm. Yeah, that's a big one, right? Um, I think it's subjective. Um, in, in a large sense, it's, um, I mean, I guess, I guess to get pretty personal here, um, I've been somebody who is a self-proclaimed Christian for a long time. I believe that I think I've fallen out of that. I think in the grand scale, we are pretty much just like, we're, we're pretty much co cogs in a wheel in a sense. I mean, we're maybe, maybe if you zoomed out, we're not much more significant than germs in a Petri dish, which might be sound depressing. <laughs> maybe that sounds depressing or, or gross or scary or, or misguided to a lot of people. But I also think there's a, a so the subjective matters. There's a lot of beauty in this world. There's a lot of things to be happy about and appreciate and enjoy. So I'm not a fan of hedonism in the sense that like, don't just pursue pleasures, well, you know, eat, eat yourself sick and do drugs and watch movies. No, but um, I think it's, it's to be driven and pursue the things that the, I guess the data would show that does make you a little more well off and the data is pretty clear. It's, it's having loving relationships, uh, friendships and, and romantic relationships. It's having um, a positive impact on others. It's taking your care of yourself and your well being and your fitness and your health. Um, so those are the things I try to focus my time on. So that's my meaning of life. I guess my subjective meaning of life is promoting my own fitness and health helping others in the way that I know how to help people well is through fitness, health and coaching in that regard. Um, and it's just pursuing the things that I'm driven. I'm very driven in my goals of fit responder. I'm driven with my personal fitness goals. I'm driven to be a good influence on my kids and, and, uh, and help positively shape them. And I'm happy enough with those things alone. Even if ultimately zooming out, it's, it's objectively meaningless. Uh, it's meaningful to me. That's perfect. It works for me, man. Ted, <laughs> that, that wraps it up, man. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights. Um, you know, it, I think this conversation was great. If people want to find you, if they want to find fit responders, if they have questions, if they want to seek further knowledge, how do they do so? Oh yeah. Appreciate it. Plug time. So you can go to fitresponder.com. Um, you could also go to our Instagram, which is fit period responder. So fit dot responder. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Ted Stern. Um, you could send me an email, uh, Ted S at fitresponder.com. So Ted, T E D S as in Sam at fitresponder.com. All those three are avenues. Um, and one thing I offer to everyone is I'm happy to start a chat and see if there's things I can help you with just through a conversation totally for free. Um, and if you, if you are interested in coaching, I'm happy to talk about that more. So, um, that's how you can get in contact. We have a lot of free resources, free PDFs, guides, handouts, tips. So you can follow our page for funny stuff, for some good tips, for inspiration, for prize giveaways. And uh, appreciate any likes, comments, follows, and uh, happy to chat. Perfect. Ted, I appreciate it. We'll get you back on and we'll talk more about 
uh, nutrition and things like that. But until then, I really appreciate it. Everyone listening, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks a lot, man. You know, as I was putting together this episode, talking about you need to get started, you need to bust out of the comfort zone, and here's all the reasons why, I was kind of ignorant to the fact of why people don't. I mean, you could be listening to this whole conversation with Ted, and you can listen to Tom Rizzo motivating you, you can listen to me regurgitating Phil Studs, and then you can go, that's great, Ted, but I can't. The fear of failure is so daunting, I know I need to do this thing, but I just physically cannot gain the motivation, the discipline, whatever you want to call it, to get it done. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I get it. It is daunting to do the things you need to do, especially when there's so much work ahead of you. If you are 50, 100 plus pounds overweight, that first step is so daunting. If you have a crippling, crippling to the fact of it interferes with your normal daily life, addiction, whether it's alcoholism, it's smoking, it's hard narcotics, it's sex, whatever, you know you need to stop. But that mountain is so hard in front of you that you just feel like you you can't or you don't know where to go. One reason or another, and and one of the biggest ones is like the fear of failure that goes along with it, especially when you're stepping off that cliff and you're going into the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to share a very personal anecdote, and this is probably the most real, the most vulnerable I've been on this podcast. I have always had bad teeth. It's one of my number one, if not the number one biggest insecurity I have. I barely smile for pictures. Uh, probably one of the biggest reasons why I don't show my face on the podcast or, or on Instagram. It's to the point where if someone brings them up, I break down. I just I shut down, put the walls up, and I just stop. My parents did not prioritize dental care. They just flat out did not help me in this regard at all. So as an adult, I've been worried about my teeth, that they were too far gone, past the point of no return, and I didn't want to be the guy in his 20s or 30s with dentures or no teeth because I couldn't afford dentures, and I was afraid of taking that first step. So for years and years and years, I dealt with the insecurity of my teeth for the failure, the fear of failure, or the fear of the pain of whatever the dental procedure was that I was going to need to have done. And so on and so forth. Until this past year, or now last year, I guess we're getting technical. I finally made the first step and went to the dentist and started doing whatever. And I've had many dental procedures over the past year. And it's been expensive and it's been painful and it has not been a good time. And I'm not done yet. I've got more and more coming. But just the small changes that have happened have boosted my confidence just a little bit. And motivated me to do more to correct the situation, my, my, my issue, my biggest insecurity. To the point where I was literally sitting in the dentist chair getting a procedure done. And 
I don't want to say I cried, but tears may have fallen from my eyes. Not necessarily because of the pain, though it hurt like a bitch. But because I realized that everything I was afraid of, everything that kept me from getting in that chair for many, many years, was over. I was there. I, I started adopting this mental principle of, or this mental like imagery of being at the top of a roller coaster. I hate roller coasters, so this is a great analogy. Being on the top of a roller coaster, well, it's too late, right? You can't go back. All you can do is deal with what's in front of you, what's going to happen. And when that car goes, you're, you're, that's it. Like, there's no getting off at this point. And that's where I am in that situation. And that's how I kind of live a lot of things as well. So that's my story. Fear of getting out of what's comfortable, fear of failure. It's not a one size fits all story, right? Um, you could do any of those different examples that I talked about um, or Ted talked about. But I think what would be more important or more beneficial to you guys, to those listening who may be in similar situations, is to hear something from someone else. So I'm kind of stealing this idea that I heard from the John Deloney show. Uh, I'm going to have semi-regularly, I'm going to try to do it as often as I can, but I'm going to have regular people, law enforcement officers, call into the show and share their experience regarding the various topics that I have for a week. So this this week is going to be the comfort zone. Next week is going to be about burnout. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have going to see a therapist and, and just so on and so forth. And we're going to do that now for a couple reasons. I'm not going to have it on this episode. So what's going to happen is in just a few hours, we're going to release a second little extra bonus episode for this episode. And it's going to include my conversation with a central Florida police officer named Josh, who is going to talk about his fear of getting out of law enforcement and going into the corporate world. And he's going to talk about why and what his outcome was. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be uh, kind of a bonus episode. We're going to do that for a couple weeks and see what happens. So just keep an eye out for that. And that concludes today's episode, folks. Special thanks to Ted Stern. Go check out fit.responder on Instagram. I believe they, he said they're on Facebook and we will get you, well, they will get you squared away. I'm not with them. They just sponsor the show because they know cops listen and cops need help in this thing. Break out of that comfort zone, guys. It will save your life. I know we like to say comfort kills, complacency kills. It is absolutely true. Not just law enforcement based, but to make yourself a better person, break out of that comfort zone, do things that will make you uncomfortable. Speaking of things that are uncomfortable next week, that's kind of a weird segue. We have an NFL alumnus. His name is Isaac Asiata. He went from the NFL. He played college football, went to the NFL, retired, and is now a full-time police officer in the state of Utah. This is one of my absolute favorite conversations we've had on this show to date. Don't want to miss it. Such a poignant, pivotal, pa 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 I don't know. There's a lot of peas with that. <laughs> such a great episode. Such a great conversation. You don't want to miss it. It'll be next week. Isaac Asiata. Until next time, friends, take care of each other. Stay safe. Check out our merch store. We will see you next week. 10-8, out. Out.